0: Welcome back to Bots and Thoughts, the hyper-automation podcast sponsored by Salient Process. I'm your host, Jimmy Hewitt, aka Mr. Automation. Hello and welcome to another special guest episode of Bots and Thoughts, the hyper-automation podcast sponsored by Salient Process. Performance baselines, KPIs, measure what you manage, and manage what you measure. If you're in the digital business automation slash process optimization space, then these words surely resonate with you. And if they don't, then you are in the right place. I grew up on Jeff Goodhue's videos, demos, and guided labs when I was with IBM, and now I'm thrilled to be interviewing him on our pod. Jeff serves as IBM America's technical sales leader for IBM Business Automation and talks with me about measuring performance baselines, uniting the technical teams with the business teams, some predictions on automation in 2023, time to value, and much more. I hope you all enjoy this episode as much as I did recording it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Mr. Jeff Goodhue, thank you so much for being here for the show. Good morning for you out on the West Coast. How are yes. you, and how is Los Angeles treating you?
1: Doing good, doing good. Uh, yeah, it is still morning over here. It's a early morning most days for me. Uh, Los Angeles is good. We've had some nice weather and everything, and looking forward to talking about bots and my thoughts on them. And so, yeah. <laughs>
0: Awesome. Let's get into it, uh, with a little bit of context. You are the America's technical sales leader for digital business automation. Curious what that means in terms of your day to day. And if you don't mind maybe taking us back to, uh, how you originally got into this digital business automation space.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so I like to, to talk to talk about myself because you're right, I am the, the leader of the technical sales team and what IBM calls the Americas, that's basically Northern America and the cold Canada all the way down South and through the beautiful Caribbean down down to South America. Um, but I, I am really a, a solution architect at heart. And so, you know, what I, what I did to get here was I worked in various technical roles, um, some business roles dealing with requirements analysis and design and some of that stuff. Uh, I love the design work and I love to bring those two together. And so bringing them together for clients, talking about the solutions and the problems they have and how to solve them uh, really brought me here today. And I work with uh, upwards of 80 or so folks across the Americas team, plus some other teams like our client engineering team and others uh, to really bring these solutions uh, to our clients and get them to start their implementations. I like to check back in with them whenever I can to make sure those implementations. So. Sure. so, yeah.
0: And what got you into the space in the first place? How'd you find digital business automation and what did that look like?
1: Yeah. Um, I, um, I, I did long ago, I guess now I can start to say this, I'm getting a little bit up there in, in experience years. Uh, I did an engineering degree and I specifically did systems engineering, which was that focus on like requirements all the time, big, big problems, big systems, multiple things working together and the requirements that would allow us to design and execute and build those systems. And I quickly realized that I was really focused on people, right? Um, And, and how they interacted with those systems, not necessarily just the systems, right? I love to talk Mm -hmm. about those people and the requirements. And that led me kind of the business side of requirements while I still understood the technology, because I have a background in software and engineering uh, but but I, I also could bridge that gap a lot of the times. So that brought me through and I started to learn modeling, uh, you know, older technologies and notations like UML, newer ones like BPMN and DMN that have been coming out and, and in the case and, and document notations and everything. And that kind of led me to talk about some of those notations over time. Uh, I really love to talk to clients about bridging that gap of business and IT And understanding the the three things that come up pretty often for me with with my clients. And it's this, you know, you've probably heard these yourself, right? Maybe different words sometimes, Um, you know, so systems, right? That's the technology aspect, right? Um, You know, being able to work across them, right? Um, Methodologies, those are kind of processes, right? Many people use the word process there. Uh, And then people, Right. So systems, processes, and people. Some people use a couple different versions of those words, uh, but I see them all the time and and I love them. So that's probably gotten me into this interesting space of business automation.
0: Awesome. Thank you. We're definitely going to touch on uniting the technology teams with the business teams that you've been doing throughout your career. Um, As we get into it, uh, it sounds like you work, you and your teams work with clients, all day, every day. How many clients do you and your team interact with on any given year?
1: Oh gosh, yeah, it it, it is a lot, right? Um, through uh, the direct IBM teams that I lead, lead myself, um, like you said, there's there's up to eighty, and every day we're working with some clients. A lot of the days, I'm working with three, four, five clients. Uh, I, I get on the phone with one. I'll have a, a meeting with one next. Uh, I already got off the phone with one earlier, so different one. <laughs> so usually a lot. And I, I, I think, you know, in general, each of us technical team members, specialists and architects um, are probably working with an, any given quarter. Uh, easily 10 different clients, most likely. So 10 times 80, you, do, you used to do math there, right? Uh, hopefully, mm-hmm. we're able to find a solution and get them running with the business solution. Uh, each of those 10, sometimes it's a few more, sometimes it's a few less in any given quarter. But then you extend it outwards, right, from there to other IBM team members that aren't focused on business automation but maybe are dealing with automation as a whole or mm. data and AI or, or everything that, that IBM is into in these really interesting business areas. And honestly, they're doing some workflow. They're doing some decisions. They're dealing with content and extraction, definitely some RPA robots and, and more and more process mining, which I'm excited about. So, so that extends it outwards. And also yeah. our partners, like, like, for example, Salient, uh, and other partners uh, are great to work with. And that, that really extends our reach. I mean, you guys are working with clients as well all the time. Uh, and, and it's great to work with all of our, di- our different business partners. So, yeah, yeah, that gives you a little bit of idea.
0: Okay, so you and your team are touching hundreds of clients every year. That, yeah. to me, proves that you truly have your finger on the pulse of digital business automation at the you know enterprise-scale client's down to the small and even mom and pop sized customers that, that we've been working with. We had we had a six person customer this year, all the way up to some of the largest customers in the world that are actively implementing digital business automation. But nonetheless, the amount of clients you see, your team sees on a yearly basis proves to me that you have your finger on the pulse of the, the state of the union of digital business automation. And let me ask you to maybe think back over the, the last maybe five years, think back to the, the state of the digital business automation union. What trends have you seen over those last five years? And if you could maybe describe that as you lead up to now today, what is your view on the current state of the Digital Business Automation Union?
1: Yeah, um, it's been a lot of evolution, right? Like you're like you're hinting at there, things have, have changed, but some of those themes say the, say the same. We we talked about you know systems and processes and people. Uh, I think there's been a lot of evolution in each, right? So systems, we we have a lot better tooling than we used to have, right? We moved from code to models and now to low and no code, right, Uh, uh, capabilities, and obviously to AI bringing in a lot of capability that allows us to move quicker or do things we couldn't do before or do them in an easier way, right? Um, The processes, right, not necessarily the business processes that we execute, but the processes have gotten better just as a whole. We've used, we've used agile and iterative playbacks. We've used design thinking has been a big proponent here, right? Um, when, I, when I saw process mining getting really exciting about, I mean, gosh, five, four years ago, and people have been doing it much longer than that, but it's really been a big uptick. And as IBM kind of got into that in the last couple of years as well ourselves uh, directly, uh, that's been you know, a new type of methodology of design thinking and applying that mining and thought process, data discovery to the original modeling types of methodologies and processes we're using. So that's, there's been a lot of evolution there. And we still have a lot of problems with, with people, right? I mean, people are people. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we get in the way of ourselves a lot of the times. Um, but uh, at the same time, I think there's a lot more understanding from people uh, of those methods and processes that we're dealing with. Uh, and the, remember, the tooling back to the beginning has been something that's gotten better, which, which brings more people in, right? To be honest, a lot of the time we're bringing in people that uh, wouldn't have been able to communicate, uh, you know, build themselves, execute themselves, and now they can, and they're loving it, right? So so that's that's the evolution, I'd say. Now, what's uh, you, you asked a little bit about what's next. I'm not sure if we're kind of, you know, predicting or something. Um, if we're going there, but but let me know. Like so, so that's up until now. Um, are, are you yeah. looking forward
0: then? Let's let's dig in a little bit into those three yeah. pieces. The okay. systems. Let's start there. What's the biggest system evolution trend that you've seen? Mm-hmm. Um, you can talk about maybe acquisitions, maybe platform consolidations. You can talk about. The low no code stuff you mentioned, or maybe the deployment form factors from a systems evolution perspective, um, a little bit. Yeah. Tell us more about the systems evolution in the digital business automation world.
1: Yeah, I mean, the one that relates so directly to business automation, I would definitely say is the evolution from what we used to call models 15 plus years ago, you know, draw a picture, et cetera, and then slowly being able to execute those pictures um, into low low and no code space. Right. Uh, And that's not necessarily just what people might think of as low and no code, which I would then call maybe a, a low code application platform, the ability for me to build some app very quickly and, and, and get it out there for my team to use, which which is certainly part of it. Um, but it's bringing in the principles of low and no code to everything we do. Right. So that's the thing that relates most directly because we're really we need to bring in those business people. They need to be involved early in the middle after deployment and the evolution and the, and the continuous improvement. Um, so that's the biggest one. But I also can't get away without talking about, you know, containers and, and integration and the, the maybe more nitty-gritty underlying all that stuff that make mm-hmm. it work. Um, there's been a lot of evolution there. Uh, we're still in the early days, especially when we're talking about the more established clients, the ones that uh, can't go down, right? Um, I mean you know, for as much as we don't want to, we can deal without our streaming for for a few hours or a few days if it goes down. Um, but can we really, you know, go deal without transacting business on financial applications or or delivering healthcare, right, or delivering food and supply chains, right? I don't think we can really deal without those very easily. And, and we, we've seen some challenges in the last few years on that in some areas, right? Um, so those ones need to be more robust. And Hopefully uh, the containers, as we continue to modernize to them, uh, I, I really have a, good, a strong hope that they will be. Uh, in some areas, we made, we made strict progress that has been great. In other areas, we still have a ways to go, I would say, right? Um, we, we need to get the software better. We need to get the platforms better, et cetera. Um, but that's been great. And the last one that I'll throw in there, maybe, maybe that's maybe more the future, is AI. right? Um, I want to mm. I want to see where that can go. It's made some progress. It's made some really interesting inroads and, and uh, been used in ways. But I'm also looking at where that can do more. So I'll leave that one maybe for the where we can do more conversations. So
0: yeah. Awesome. Let me kind of double click into the containers one. We have a fairly technical audience out there. A lot of business process owners, process analysts out there, but we also have some 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 deeply technical folks out there. Um, so talk about what containers means for a business from a business continuity perspective. Hmm.
1: Yeah, we're working now with a number of, of a couple clients, right uh, for example, but but one comes to mind right now, and they're designing a, a new version, new platform of existing application. It's running on-premises in one of their data centers across uh, a metro region pair, right? So they've got one on one side of the city and then up the road 100 kilometers away, they got another one. Um, and they got some DR, but it takes them, you know, RPO, RTO, takes them number of hours. You know, So now they're designing the next version of this thing, the next big version of this thing. And they're going to iterate on it, obviously, over time, mm-hmm. run it in parallel, and then uh, hopefully take over. From the old version in, in a few years, it'll take them some time because it's a it's a high priority critical system for them, um, and and so what what does it mean in the container world, right? Okay, well now instead of systems and metro pairs and uh, the classic DR with asynchronous backup, uh, can we move stuff to more synchronous? Can we uh, you know push things to the storage layer and let the storage layer handle some of these challenges? Uh, where are the clusters, right? Can uh, some solutions be even active-active from far away, outside of a metro pair, right? We're talking maybe continents, right? Uh, we're pushing the limits here in some areas. Uh, certain things in the BA space, the business automation space, are, are ready for that. Maybe some are, maybe not, right? Uh, you know, there's there's some transactionality that has to be involved. There's uh, another client I've been working with that is dealing with, some highly transactional we're talking you know process flows that have compensation to them and you know the classic two-phase commit type stuff we've been dealing with in soa for more than 20 years Um, but what what does that look like in a new world an event world for example not even just containers but throwing the concept of event-driven architecture in there right Uh, what does that look like well is it still two-phase commit and transactionality is it instead uh, something different. Is it eventual consistency in an event-driven architecture? And what what kind of impact does that have on the users in the business, right? Um, is it okay mm-hmm. for things to be eventually consistent, but not consistent all the time, right? Uh, you know, what's what's presented to the user in that case, right? Because the user won't be okay with eventual consistency, right? So we need to know, like, when when can it be consistent and when can we present that to the user and how do we handle that from a technology perspective? So... For as much as I love the business aspects, as you as you heard me talk about earlier, models, low code, no code, AI, design thinking methods, etc., uh, you know, in the end, these things got to run and execute and run our run our world in many cases. Um, so so there's some challenges that we're facing in the container world uh, because the containers are, are built differently. These Avenger and architectures are just built differently. They're not they're not the same as the transactional systems of old. Um, and bringing these two together. It has been interesting discussions I would say with clients. We've made a lot of progress in some areas. Um, we have some really resilient managed offerings in the world of OpenShift, right? And in the world of just Kubernetes, plain old Kubernetes too from a lot of different vendors. IBM is working with not only our own cloud and our own OpenShift stuff, but we're working with the uh the other vendors out there, the big hyperscalers out there with their own container platforms. Uh, and making sure our software runs on those two, because we know clients are not always going to use all IBM throughout the stack. Uh, and so we want to make sure business automation can run on those two. And you know, I, again, I think we're really making progress. We, we had some challenges early on, but now we've got you know managed offerings, things that the clients don't have to maintain themselves. And they can put that on a hyperscaler cloud and let it handle the storage, let it handle the networking and let it handle the compute. And that's honestly been something that we've been working on for Kubernetes for a while. And I think we're getting there. So those are that some of the really topics exciting. that are coming up with clients. So.
0: It's an amazing evolution from yeah. the systems side of the, the spectrum. So using containers for redundancy and mm-hmm. hyperactive failover, uh, event-driven architecture. For listeners out there looking into those things, there's uh, a lot of exciting stuff on the horizon Uh, That leaves us with people and processes to dig into a little bit. Over the last five years, what is the biggest one or two people changes that come to mind in the context of digital business automation?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, I think people are uh, learning, right, how to be smarter themselves, right? Right. Um, so before we were expecting the computer to tell us what was next, sometimes walk us through the process. I remember, uh, we used to call these screens coaches, right? And we were, yep. we were coaching the users through the process while we still can do that and need to do that. Um, we're also letting, you know, the people make some of their own decisions, which, uh, I think is cool, right? We're still giving them the information. We're still giving them maybe the next task or, We're making recommendations with AI, you know, I mentioned that, right? Um, That theme coming up there, it's a great usage. Uh, You know, for example, in extracting data from documents, we are making some really great uh, design choices, I would say in our user experiences for people uh, to give them more of that data. How do I train the system to extract data from a document easily, right? And not have to, you know, tell it exactly where on the document it is, and exactly what what letters to look for. And if you don't find them, you're going to miss it. And right? it has to go out to a human cue. Well, now we're able to give somebody, that designer, that creator of of the trainer of the system, we're able to give them some recommendations. I found these things. Are these things the right things that you want to actually do? And we, I can recommend them to you right away. Uh, I can start to, as an AI system, learn. Uh, you give me 20 documents of different types of formats and you call things you know different fields sometimes it's customers sometimes it's client, sometimes it's customer name mm-hmm. you know etc uh, it's able to start to learn and recommend on its own and mm-hmm. of course you still have to test right but these are ways that we're giving more information to users and then the users are honestly we're going to learn from them too right um because as i said the users are people are getting pretty smart i would say uh and we know what we want and so we're asking for more. We're asking for more from the systems that we just talked about uh, as well. Um, I mean, there's there's lots of ways. And I, this is an interesting area. I, I'd love to learn a little bit from uh, the users out there, right, that are listening to this podcast. Uh, let, it, let me know what you as people, right, uh, are doing, what's changed for you. Uh, that would be an interesting thing to maybe check the comments as well. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Please do comment, reach out with how you listeners are your needs are evolving in the digital business automation world we uh, we would love to hear that yeah another user or or person trend I'm picking up on I'd love your thoughts on jeff um, is in the in the knowledge worker section of the labor force they're starting to wake up to this idea of why do I have to do this task when it could so seemingly easily be outsourced to technology? Um, It used to not be the case, right? It used to be, Mm -hmm. this is my job, this is how I was trained. I need to do X, Y, and Z to keep the paper moving. But now I'm sensing and seeing in, in my client interactions, that they're asking for, for more. They want to do the partnering. They want to do the collaborating, the strategizing, the exception handling. They want to get out of the triage and, and rote tasks. So I think that's another uh, person mm-hmm. trend that at least I've noticed over the years. I think you could sum it up as elevating the level of work Love your thoughts on on that people trend.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, and both you and I mentioned that same phrase of they're asking for more, right? <laughs> so, so good, a good parallel. Um, yeah, I think you're right, right? Uh, you know, people are looking for work that is interesting uh, more often, right? And they're asking the systems to help them with that. Um, I, I think we do have a little ways to go, right, to, again, help with all of them. I, I think the, the partners that are out there that are building, uh, and partner, by the way, could be a, a lot of different things, right? Um, but someone that's working with your business and partnering with you to build a solution, right? So certainly it could be like IBM or sailing it could be, could be others, right? Um, a lot of the partners out there are, are looking in this space and saying, well, how, how can we build something that uh, can help you more, Right. Uh, one way that's coming up pretty often is this idea of natural language, right? I mean, it's been there on our phones forever. (laughs) As we pick our phones up, we basically talk to them all the time. And so Mm -hmm. being able to talk to business systems in that same way and have them understand us, right, um, is something that I know IBM's been looking at. Uh, Honestly, we've had chatbots for a while that have been in the business space, and IBM has a great... You know, solution there as well, but but now we're we're trying to figure out how can we how can the chatbots and the other natural language processing can not be a chatbot? It can be also be you know verbal or or uh, something else. But how can they understand our systems as well, so that we don't have to then just talk to them on on the superficial level, right? Mm-hmm uh you know uh, you know what time is it and and uh you know maybe schedule a meeting okay fine right uh for me that's great. Um but what if it could also you know do some pretty pretty powerful things? What if I could ask it to uh get a number from a report that I know is out there somewhere and I don't really want to go and look for it, but then also bring that back and you know combine it with another piece of data that I asked in maybe even a visual way? Like what if what if it could produce the graph for me that I don't really want to have to produce in Excel. and doesn't exist now, by the way, in some Excel file. That would be an easier va- operation yep. for it to pull back something that existed. But what if it actually created it, right, um, by bringing those two things together? This this uh, intersection of multiple, we'll call them services, API calls, let's be honest, right? This intersection of multiple API calls, um, but in a natural language sense, is something that I think could be really interesting in this space and, and hopefully would able to help the humans you're talking about, right? Um, that are asking for the more interesting stuff, right? So yes, let's also automate things that are pretty repetitive, but then let's also bring in some of those recommendations and natural language so that yeah. when they move to a newer task, an interesting task, they're also supported by that too. So yeah, both yeah. sides of that a coin. Yeah.
0: Really exciting stuff. It, it, it's, it's really leveling up the quality of work that we can do, um, at the same level of time spent and, and effort spent, Mm -hmm. um, really exciting stuff. And that leaves us with processes. How have Mm -hmm. processes changed over the last five years in this context? And, And yeah, I'd love your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. I mean, there, there are a lot of ways, right. Possible, I suppose. Um, I mean, we talked a little about methodologies, things like agile and design thinking and stuff, that can help us, you know, drive the way we are building solutions and applications and our our own processes. So when I when I talk about process again, I I, I first think of the process that we are are using as as humans, not necessarily the classic business process that we might go and find a way to execute. Uh, but that too, right? Of course, right. Um, so, you know, uh, we talked a little bit about training extraction from documents. Right. And that's another way that the process of, of training that system mm. uh, is getting way easier. Right. Mm. Um, I, I think those are some uh, of the ways, I, you know, I'm I'm again like I would put it out there to the people a little bit. I think we we as technologists understand the system side, but both the way that people are changing and processes are changing. I'm learning every time I talk to a client almost. I mean, certainly every other conversation, I'm like, I didn't think of doing that that way.
0: Same here. Yeah. Yeah, One that that comes to mind for me is Mm. the breaking down of silos across divisions and departments. Uh So think about booking an order. No matter what company or industry you're working for, someone out there is booking an order, Mm -hmm. right? That's Mm -hmm. just business 101. You book orders. There's so many different teams involved with that. You have your salesperson that inks the deal. You have your yeah. revenue operations team that validates um, the order and, and and kicks off whatever was just purchased to the delivery team or or the yeah, delivery team. You've got finance and accounting that's double checking yeah. that the revenue is, is booked properly across all these systems. You have leadership that is reporting on on this transaction. So, just the most simple fundamental element of business, making a sale, cuts across so many teams. And so, how do, how are processes changing the the cutting across of those different div- divisions or departments to complete that process? I'm I'm seeing that as a big trend, and what interesting opportunity that can can enable at the company level is it reduces a lot of rework and handoffs, mm-hmm. right? And also just balls being dropped. A unit of work moving from one department to the next to say book and order doesn't happen if you're using a workflow management platform to coordinate and orchestrate that work. Um the question of what do I do next doesn't come up if your workflow mm-hmm. platform is yep. is telling you based on these rules this is what you should be doing next. So that's a big process change that I'm seeing in the digital business automation world. And it's very much it's a very exciting one um to support with digital business automation.
1: Yeah.
0: Um yeah. so let me ask you about a, a concept that you brought up earlier in our chat and that is uniting the business side of the house with the technology side of the house. How do you guys do that? It seems like that's one of the most important, you know, pieces of actually putting rubber on the road, changing the way a company does business with digital business automation software. Um, you, you need the business to have the need. We want to be faster, smarter, better, cheaper, et cetera, less error prone, more compliant. You also have the technology side of the house that, you know, is sensitive to things like security and integrations. And they also have a lot of work on their plate too, not just mm-hmm. the business. Mm-hmm. So how are you all uniting the, the business side of the house with the technology side of the house and how well, important you, is that?
1: Yeah. You, you, said it though, the, the, do the work, right? You talked about it like you just get, you got to do some of that work. That's where the real work happens uh, I, I would say start immediately with that planning, right? And uh, there's two aspects to that. So, yes, you should do the planning. We talked about design thinking. We talked about, you know, mining and modeling, whatever is appropriate, right? So work with your, your business partner, whoever that is, that's doing this with you uh, and pick the right methodology for you, your team, and the challenge you're solving, Right, because sometimes you're going to use, you know, modeling. Sometimes you're going to use maybe more of a, a mining aspect. Sometimes you're going to, you know, jump into some AI work right away at the beginning, and, and sometimes you'll leave that for for later, right? Depending on what's the most important prioritization in the world. So so do that planning work though upfront. Uh, yes to it all, and also the other aspect of that is that yeah, okay, don't get stuck in the analysis paralysis stuff. I mean that's that's important to remember um but a lot of people will either do too much of it or too little of it right Mm. and so finding a balance is 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 a challenge um but i I think from my experience with clients um they're they're to one side of that spectrum (laughs) they're either doing way more than they probably need to, or they're not doing enough of that at all. And so just kind of whatever one you feel like you might be in, whatever one your business partner tells you you might be in, just try to push yourselves a little more to the center, right? Whatever that is, and that will help you. Uh, I I personally think it'll help you either move faster or, or it'll help you not do as much rework and fixing later, right? Another thing that comes up pretty often uh, is that people don't set what I would call kind of a, like a baseline, right? Um, mm. that, that can be done in a lot of different ways. That could be done with a, just a model, right? What is the as is? Or it could be done with mining, by the way. If you actually think it's being done this way, but you don't actually know what really is being done unless you interview every single user out there, well, why not just gather the data using some type of a mining tool and, and honestly tell, tell you what is happening out there? Mm-hmm. So that can, that can be one type of baseline. Another baseline type that a lot of people still forget, and I feel like I've been telling clients this for five plus years more at least, if not more, is is getting that baseline of, of metrics and KPIs and things, right? So mm-hmm. even if you're telling me up front uh, as, a, as a partner of yours that you're like, well, okay, I don't need to capture all these metrics. I mean, I I, I know that we're going to improve, right? And so that's enough. Uh, I'm, I'm still gonna, you know, at least get you to define the metrics and mm-hmm. hopefully capture them right at the beginning uh, to build a baseline before you start. Right after you start, because I can tell you from experience, a near 100% likelihood that you're going to ask me for the metrics six months or a year from now. <laughs> so if you don't have the baseline, that's a big challenge, right? It could I be. I think the- that these things. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, th- these things are what what help to bridge the gap. To bring you back to your original question, yeah. um, doing the upfront planning work uh, and making sure you involve the business—if I didn't mention that I should have—involve the business throughout that planning work. Super important because then then both sides of business and IT are own own that uh, solution that you're building. And then you know, building some type of a baseline, whether it's model mining based or whether it's actual metric KPI based, or hopefully both. Uh, if mm-hmm. applicable to your solution, uh, really help to bring the business and IT folks together because then you can look at that common baseline, agree on what it should be. By the way, what you should be tracking uh, as a team, uh, and then move forward from there. Uh, these this type of language stuff uh, it can be <laughs> it can be more important than you would think. So
0: it makes a ton of sense. Yeah, it could be the the most beautifully architected system design. You're helping along with containers and event-driven architecture, but if you aren't improving a metric, a KPI, then the business is never going to sign off on it. Right. And likewise, if the architecture diagram, design, integration flows, inf- information security hasn't been properly designed, then it's never going to get off the ground with IT. So yeah. that makes a ton of sense in terms of uniting the business with IT. Early and often, focus on discovery and metrics. Um, let's jump into another topic that you mentioned earlier, which was time to value. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, in this digital business automation context, what does time to value mean to you? How do you define it in the context of digital business automation? And uh, why does it matter to our listeners?
1: Yeah. I mean, well, we mentioned a little bit about baselines. That That's something that can help us figure out time to value, right? And and uh, do an assessment either upfront or right at the beginning or in the initial phases, pilots of projects. That can really help. Um, so that's kind of maybe a bridge from that last discussion. Mm-hmm. And once we have some baselines, once you have some metrics, um, yeah, it, it is important, right? You mentioned it as well. The business is much more likely to involve themselves, feel ownership, uh, you know, move forward with the solution and continue to improve it over time if they see that timed value. Um, so involve them early and often as well. So that that's the very related to the last discussion. Uh, continually reassess. That's also one thing, right? Um, because you need to prove to yourself that you're still delivering the value, right? In whatever time frame that you determine you're going to get that payback. Um, you know, and and uh, uh, RTO and, and TCO, right? Total cost of ownership. Um, that might, that might be for any given project, a couple months, uh, on up to, you know, six months or a year. I hope, I hope that somewhere in that time frame is a, mm-hmm. is a good sweet spot. It, it really does depend a lot on the scopes and everything else, but, but a lot of our customers are able to get there in just, just a matter of, of two or three, four months, right. Uh, yeah. it just does depend. Um, but then do that reassessment every once in a while, right. Uh, put that into your methodology, uh, am I still headed the right direction or are some of these things that we had out there for phase X, uh, you know, or N, whatever it is, right, um, are, are some of them no longer the, the most important priority? Because my baseline and my next, my metrics are, or my trends, right, are telling me that actually that thing that I had in, in phase N plus one, should come back to end, right?
0: Let um, me ask you, I yeah. mean to cut you off, but how is mm-hmm. process mining mm-hmm. supporting the reevaluation mm-hmm. of those KPIs?
1: Yeah, no, actually, that's a good point, right? Because the KPIs of am I'm not really telling you how, right? Um, there's, there's kind of a, I, I'm seeing this, maybe this is also a kind of future direction discussion. I'm seeing this as a as a thing that we need to get better at. Uh, but we've already gotten really pretty good at operations in, in intelligence and, and dashboarding. And we've also gotten much better in the last few years of, of mining and, and data discovery and bringing those two a little bit together now, right? Uh, we've been able to do that with a couple clients. Uh, I'd say it's, it's early days to put that into a repetitive practice, right? Um, of doing it over and over again and doing that kind of continually reassessment, which is what I mentioned earlier. But the process mining can indeed right, help you with that um, because the, the numbers are out there. So when you've instrumented and followed my recommendation of getting that baseline and metrics in your systems from version one, hopefully, right? Um, and, and now you can feed them into mining. You can see a process model. You can see... Uh, a different understanding or, or, or overlay on, on cost or time or whatever other metrics, business metrics maybe like dollars Here's. and cost et cetera, that you're interested in. And then that can help you decide in your continuous reassessment, what should I be doing, right? Uh, without mining, you're you're doing you can do some of that manually. To be honest, right, and we've been doing it manually for years and years mm-hmm. and years, <laughs> All right. Hopefully, uh, but you're right. The mining is a good way of doing that with tooling, providing you some some insight and tooling, and maybe even recommendations in the future. We hope the mining products get a little better there. So that's yeah. a
0: nuance in there that I, yeah. I'm not convinced everyone listening is aware of. Maybe they are, and our our mm. job here is done, Jeff. Um, but if not, <laughs> mining is not only helpful on the upfront process discovery, establishing your baseline. But it also helps with the continuous monitoring of that baseline mm-hmm. after you've implemented your automation, be it a workflow solution, a decision, a capture, or or, or a bot. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's something that, and, and again, we're, we're also seeing this happen in not only the tooling, but the, the practices and processes of, of the people, um, tooling being the systems, bringing us back to those three, um, where, where these things are literally coming together, right? And some people are, like you said, they're probably not linking those two. They're, they're thinking of them one way or the other. They're either thinking of them, of a, I, look, I check my dashboard, I see my numbers, and they're good, they're bad, and I, I take the action. Uh, or they're thinking about it like a kind of more analyst view, right? Because the first one's more of an operational manager view, an analyst view where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do all the work and do the analysis and take a long loop here. What if I could bring those together, right, and allow the different people to do the work, also speed it along faster, right? Uh, make that iteration faster. So it's a good, it's a great connection you mentioned. Yeah,
0: thanks. Time to value very important, especially for digital business automation versus other. Uh, software categories out there, um, uh, just because that word value mm-hmm. really resonates with the business community. What does value even mean? Are you trying to increase your, your top line revenue? Are you trying to reduce your SG&A costs? Right. And how do you define value and how can you use digital business automation software to achieve improvements on those value metrics? Uh, yep. Yeah. Resonates really well with the community. As we come to a close here, Jeff, I've got a few rapid fire questions for you. Let me ask you to start off. What is your favorite, as you think back to all of the clients that you've helped and use cases that you've supported, what is your favorite digital business automation use case that you've uh, been a part of and that got you really excited and a story you like to tell?
1: Yeah, that's a so rapid fire. I got to come up with an answer right away. The first thing that came to my mind was within, was I would call it kind of healthcare payer and provider space, I suppose. But uh, I, I, I love the provider space definitely. And, and so it was nice that it had an aspect of both. So there was a use case where we were looking at different ways to predict and decide or recommend. Uh, information to doctors was first, and then to nursing staffs kind of was, was, was second. Different types of recommendations, different data being used. Um, and, and so it, it combined the integrations and the systems involved. I mean, there's so much there to get access to the data in a secure manner in a healthcare setting, right? So that, that in and of itself was a whole project. But then being able to use the data in a timely manner, uh, we didn't necessarily use too much workflow here, although that was the that was the next thing, and I and I was not involved in the project at that phase. But it, I, I believe they were going to go there. But we just used it in terms of decisioning to kind of make a timely decision and recommendation. So, I mean, a really simplified example uh, was one we used kind of in a, a POC for this. It wasn't the the kind of actual thing that happened to, to share the client's confidential information. Uh, but you know, what if a client comes in, a patient in this case, right, comes in. Uh, and the data is there, Uh, we know about their history, we know about their current presentation at the clinic. Uh, What if we can make a recommendation to the client, uh, the doctor immediately uh, about an issue, right? Issues could be interactions, could be uh, concerning uh, urgent items, could be follow-up items that, that the doctor can schedule with the client so they don't have to remember all those things, right? And we just recommend it to the, to the doctor. And that, to take that to wherever you might, because honestly we had some really interesting scenarios they were going to go do. Uh, that was just the POC scenario. So it was a lot of fun. I love that one.
0: I love that too, especially because it's in healthcare and um, not a day goes by where I don't hear about the hiring challenges in healthcare, the uh, call it outdated ways of working from a paper process perspective. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of work to do in healthcare, and it's awesome that you uh, you have experience in helping them. Um, okay, next rapid fire question. What is your favorite client pain point to solve with digital business automation?
1: Oh, gosh, man, that can go anywhere, right? Um... I, I think the best one, the one that I, I love to kind of figure out is is the rework stuff, right? Um, it it mm. pops up every once in a while. The classic DBA uh, you know business automation items are you know figuring out that that process or or the various decisions or or tasks within the process that you can individually automate and make better, right? Uh, so either end to end or or individual. But I actually like to find the reworks, the things that are, are causing problems in the middle of the process that people don't even know about, don't even think about. Like, oh, they just do that. I'm like, well, why yeah, are you doing it's it? Just
0: well, how it's always been because done.
1: Because that's how it works. And that's the only way I can do it. I'm like, well, but why do you have to really be doing it? <laughs> right? You have that realization, you're like, let's remove that from the process. Oh, that's great.
0: I, love oh, that. I totally agree. Um, Okay, last rapid-fire question is, as you think about next year, 2023, um, everything we just discussed, what is the single technology that you're most excited about Mm. Mm -hmm. and why?
1: I'm definitely going to use the AI umbrella right here. Now, that, that can mean a lot of things, but I am very interested in what AI can do practically, right? I feel like today it has some individual successes. It has some really kind of broad, like helpfulness, right? Is there uh, at certain level, but it's not getting. I'm a I'm a rubber meets the road, practical, let's execute business person, uh, and I and I bet a lot of folks out there, whether you're technical or business oriented, by the way, right? Uh, a lot of us are are that way in business automation. It's not quite getting there in in, in as many cases as I would like, right? Um, but I am seeing some interesting uses and and I do I talked a little bit about that earlier thing like natural language certainly a, a component of AI what if we're able to to marry that up with with recommendation engines again a really mm. common good use of, of AI it's really good at looking at data and making future recommendations um, I mean gosh what if it was able to even like the AI itself which is something I learned recently from one of our 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 leaders in AI and IBM, uh, one of our our fellows, right? So the the really intelligent research folks in the IBM research areas, um, what if it's able itself, the AI, is able to find its own biases, right? Or or biases in even our processes. Like, would that be cool, right? Because there's Mm -hmm. things that we're just not even thinking about. We're just, we're humans. We have our own experiences. Um, We are ourselves. And... Even in, in a diverse group, we're still going to have some challenges pop up and the process is going to be whatever we think it should be or whatever it is. But what if it was able to make recommendations itself on, on our own automations? And certainly, again, we are already made a lot of, of strides in the AI space at, at large, outside IBM and inside, uh, on the detection of process bias inside of AI. But hey, what else could we apply that to, right? So, I mean, these are things that I'm really interested in. Whenever I get a chance, I'm always like,
0: reading something about ai stuff so very interesting well i really appreciate you and your time is there anything that you'd like to share with the audience or maybe discuss that i haven't asked you about today or that you wanted to i don't know get off your chest about digital business automation as we uh as we wrap up here
1: i mean gosh there's there's so much um so i i would say maybe maybe one or two things here right uh, I, I really love the whole baseline, uh, get out there and understand where you are and where you want to go. So please don't forget that. <laughs> right. Um, I guess that's uh, my own personal little box to stand on and talk to all mm-hmm. my clients about, uh, I would say that one and on that people front, right. I asked for some comments on what everyone's experiencing them on their own and I'll make sure to kind of go back and check it out. Um, I, I would say, listen to other people, right. Listen to people in your organization, listen to the business. If you're an IT person, if you're an IT person, you know, et cetera, let's listen, listen to the other side. If you're a business person, listen to the people. Uh, we all have a really kind of cool ideas. Uh, I'm, I'm do my best to be as open as I can to listen to others and try to learn something every day, uh, from somebody. So, uh, apply that to, uh, whatever part of your life you'd like to. <laughs> so
0: awesome. Thank you so much, Jeff. I really appreciate the time. We'll, uh, we'll be in touch. I'm sure I'll see you on another, uh, IBM automation demo video, sometime soon.
1: <laughs> Love it. Yeah, no, great. Thanks very much, Jimmy, for the opportunity and thanks everyone for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Bots and Thoughts, the hyper automation podcast sponsored by Salient Process. Be sure to never miss an episode by hitting that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this. Get your hands on more content like this by following us on LinkedIn, and YouTube, down in the show notes and say hello we'd love to hear your thoughts perhaps even on an upcoming episode stay tuned for more episodes of bots and thoughts the hyperautomation podcast brought to you by salient process